Hey, this is David Schultz, audio producer here at Bloomberg Tax. Just wanted to let you know we've created a couple new ways for you to interact with us. If you have feedback on this episode or any of our other podcasts, please give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 703-341-3690. That's 703-341-3690. We might just use your comments in a future episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. From Washington, this is Talking Tax. It's no exaggeration to say that social media companies like Facebook, Twitter, and the like have users in every state and territory throughout the United States. And yet, so far, the advertising revenue they generate has by and large been outside the purview of state tax collectors. That may be about to change. The Maryland legislature earlier this year overrode Republican Governor Larry Hogan's veto and enacted a first-of-its-kind state digital advertising tax. And while Maryland may be the first, it likely won't be the last, as several other states are moving forward with their own versions of this levy. This all raises a lot of questions. Does the Constitution allow states to enact these digital taxes? And if it does, should the states do it? And if they do, how? That's what we'll be talking about today on Talking Tax. Bloomberg Tax correspondent Michael Bologna called up two folks who are heavily involved in this area, one who thinks state digital taxes are more or less a good idea, and one who definitely does not. We'll hear from the con side of the argument in a bit, but first, the pro. Peter Enrich is a law professor at Northeastern University who specializes in state and local tax policy. He says... Given the way these tech companies treat their users' personal data like a natural resource, it's totally reasonable for states to demand a cut of their profits. So I, I think the place that it's important to start is thinking about what's happening with the overall economy. And increasingly in the 21st century, we're moving from an economy, I mean, for a while we were in a manufacturing economy, then for a while we were in a services economy. And what we're now moving into is largely a data economy where many businesses have a, their, their business model is that they gather and they process data and that data is their primary product, their primary asset. And at least one big piece of that data economy is extracting data from us, from you and me, from people, from individuals, and is using that as a source of immense wealth and immense social power. The tax system is not up to speed with that. We're still in the 20th century tax system that is simply not well designed to reflect the fact that right now, many of the biggest and most successful businesses aren't operating in the ways that our tax system is well designed to capture some fair share of the value that they are extracting from the society. And they, the whole idea of a good business tax system is one that fairly brings back a share of the value that businesses are amassing by use of social capacity and to return it to building that social capacity. And right now, that's not working well for these data companies. And there, there are a couple of reasons. I, the sales tax is designed mainly to capture 
value that's extracted through sale of goods. To some extent, it's expanded to capture sale of services, but it's not at all designed for the data economy where lots of transactions, money's not changing hands. A business is providing something of value to consumers, but instead of charging them money, they are extracting data and the data is what pays for the value to that the companies are providing and is the source of their amassed wealth. It doesn't work. The, the, the corporate income tax doesn't work terribly well either for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that businesses and not just data businesses, but businesses generally have become increasingly sophisticated in ways to avoid having the kinds of net income that gets taxed in most state corporate tax systems. The other problem is that many of these data companies, they don't need to monetize the data collection. Collecting the data itself is their amassing of wealth and it shows up in both the wealth and the power of those companies, even if it doesn't generate a, a net revenue stream. So what's happening is these companies are not paying taxes to states anywhere near proportionate to their scale in the overall economy. Mm -hmm. So let's talk then a little bit about the uh, legislative models we're seeing across the states at the moment. It, it strikes me that there's maybe a couple different buckets, one involving gross receipts tax on digital advertising, another on um, commercial data collectors. How, how do you kind of define it? Yeah, I think those are the two models that, that I have, that I'm familiar with. The tax on digital advertising is the model that emerged first and has actually been enacted in one state in Maryland um, and is under serious consideration in a bunch of other states. And the digital advertising tax, at least in my mind, is really an attempt to sort of fit the um, square peg of the 21st century data economy into the round hole of the, ninth, of the 20th century tax system. Um, and you know, that can be done, but it's going to be done with a fair amount of awkwardness and difficulty, and it runs into some serious obstacles posed by congressional action in the form of the um, Internet Tax Freedom Act. Um, we can talk about what a bad piece of legislation that is at some point, but it's there. Um, so, so digital advertising taxes are one approach and sort of the, the, the first place that I think that it, it sort of fit within understood models. A much more interesting approach in my mind, and one that so far has only been um, pursued to my knowledge in New York, is putting a tax directly on the collection of data, which is really where the economic value is. And the, the New York model, it's, it's basically a severance tax. It's saying these companies are extracting data from all of us every time we go to Facebook or go to, go to Amazon or go to Google or even go to um, Bloomberg or anywhere else. They're gathering that data from us. And just like when you collect minerals from under the ground, you can be expected to pay for that privilege to the state that is the custodian of those minerals. When you extract data from the citizens of a state, the New York model says 
you should have to pay a tax based on how many people you collect data from. And can you differentiate those two at, at a more practical level? Uh, now, the, Maryland is a, digi, is a, uh, a gross receipts tax, as it were, but how is the, the New York one sort of structured as a, as a practical matter? The, the nearest analogy is a severance tax. And the way the New York proposal would work is a company that, as part of its business model, gathers personal data and keeps it in an individualized way would pay a tax to the state of New York every month based on how many people in New York it had collected data about. And it's a very small tax. Um, the New York one is actually designed so it's a, a, a graduated tax. So if you collect from, I, I believe it's less than a million, you don't pay any tax at all. If you collect from a million, you pay a very low rate per person. If you collect from 10 million people in New York, which is you know, the majority of the New York population, then you pay a substantially higher rate. It steps up depending on how many people you're collecting from. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Maryland's situation? Uh, it's it's kind of a hot topic because we know there are at least two lawsuits pending against the state. Uh, what what are some of the the legal arguments uh, going into this challenging Maryland's law? And and I'm wondering maybe if you have any commentary on on, on the outcome there. Yeah. So, so the, the, as in any litigation that's brought by uh, the the um, large corporate community attacking a state tax, there are a whole load of different arguments. But I think there are really two that are the, the most significant and serious ones. The first one um, is the Internet Tax Freedom Act, which federal legislation that forbids a state from imposing a tax that discriminates against Internet businesses. And the way that the Maryland tax is defined, it only taxes digital advertising, not other forms of advertising. And so the opponents say that's discriminating against internet advertising, and you don't do the same for advertising in other media, and so that's discriminatory. And that's a very serious argument. I, I think there there is a serious response and that Maryland will make a serious case in defense of it, which is if digital advertising is really something completely different from print advertising and other forms of advertising, then it's not discriminating. It's just taxing one thing that's different from another thing. That's not discrimination um, any more than having a tax on goods but not on services is discriminating against goods. It's just that goods are something different than services. The second problem, which is really quite specific to the way Maryland designed its gross receipts tax, is the Maryland tax, it, it, it's only a gross receipts tax on receipts from advertising targeted on Maryland customers, but the rate of the tax varies depending not on how much business the company is doing in Maryland, but how big the company is globally. The bigger the company is, not, not just in Maryland, but globally, the higher the rate of the tax that's imposed. And the businesses are arguing that that 
makes it violative of the Commerce Clause because it is discriminating or, or taxing based on interstate business activity, which the Commerce Clause says you can't impose a tax on activity taking place outside of the state. The reality is that tax systems that set a tax rate based on how big a, a, a business or how wealthy an individual is are quite common. Virtually every state that has a personal income tax um, that has graduated rates, you determine what rate applies, not based on how much income you have in Vermont, but how much income you have everywhere, but then you just pay that rate against your tax that was earned in Vermont. And although that issue has never gotten to the Supreme Court, it's been decided by a number of state highest courts who have all said that's perfectly okay. Finally, I want to ask you, um, this seems to be a constant problem with the states, uh, uh, seeing new technologies, new business models, and really not being able to fit them into their tax codes. What what advice would you give to the states as they they think about uh, aiming their tax codes to uh, uh, fit with innovation out in the broader economy? Yeah, I, I, that's a, it's a wonderful question, and there aren't good answers to it. Um, you know, I think this is a particularly large scale transition we're going through, but frankly, so was the transition from a largely manufacturing to a largely service economy. And frankly, states have not done terribly well on catching up with that one yet. So, um, I, it, this is really challenging. Um, part of what's really challenging is most of the real sophistication and expertise in the state tax area has been bought and paid for by the large business community. And they do a pretty good job of controlling the narrative, and they do a very good job when a state starts getting serious about something that is going to really affect their bottom lines at lobbying and publicizing and mobilizing citizens and smaller businesses and others to make it very hard for the um, new wisdom to get through. There's a real problem there. And I don't know, you know, I, 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 I've certainly worked with networks of groups that are trying to provide better capacity. A lot of states have done tax reform commissions that have done interesting work, but actually bringing it through to real product and real tax systems is very, very hard. That was Peter Enrich, a law professor at Northeastern University, speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Michael Bologna. Now we turn to a different view. And for that, we hear from Pilar Mata, the executive director of the Tax Executives Institute, which represents in-house tax professionals. She says the states trying to tax digital advertising are totally overstepping their authority. You know, ultimately, this is an opportunity for states to raise revenue. Um, and one constant that we see in state taxation is certainly that states are always looking for new revenue sources and are adjusting their taxes um, in order to read a broader set of revenue or taxpayers. And they're, you know, they're the laboratories of democracy and constantly testing new approaches and, and theories. That said, I don't think that the need for revenue is really what's driving this. Um, I think that we've seen that states have really uh, benefit benefited from robust revenue collections over the past year 
as well as federal stimulus funding um, between Wayfair, marketplace facilitator laws, and many other changes that we've seen over the last um, year or so, they're in a much uh, better position than they were uh, a few years back. So I think ultimately this is politically motivated. Um, I think that there is a perception that high tech companies aren't paying their fair share of taxes uh, or that their use of uh, customer information is is improper. And so I think that that is really what is driving their desire to impose these taxes, which are really kind of functioning like a sin tax or something to discourage um, a particular activity or, or business model. So I question whether uh, taxation is really the right way to address these issues. And uh, how would you describe the kind of legislative models that we're seeing so far? And and I know you're an attorney, so in your view, uh, do these uh, models make sense in terms of the state's current statutory authorities? I think we have two, um, two types that we've seen so far. One is gross receipts on digital advertising. The other one is a tax that's um, looking at uh, the collection of, of commercial data or consumer data. You know, um, it's really difficult to impose a tax on each of these. Um, these are both works in progress. I think that we see the struggle that the legislatures are dealing with in each of the models that are coming through. Um, when you look at definitions, sourcing, um, how these are to be administered, how they're to be valued, um, there's a lot of vagueness and a lot of things are unclear. And a lot of things are left to the tax administrator to determine how they're going to operate. So I think that those are, are challenges from a tax administration and tax policy perspective that we need to be aware of. Um, with respect to the New York model, you know, it's also notable that that's really tied to kind of the headcount, um, looking at monthly users or um, monthly visitors to, to websites and so forth, with really no tie to value or volume. And so when you look at um, how these are going to operate and, and the, the rates that are being imposed on these taxes, you know, I think that there's a potential to really deter innovation and creativity. And, you know, we don't know how broad adoption of these types of taxes are going to impact um, business and, and progress in the um, Internet age. Right. Um, so Maryland seems to be the state that everyone's watching with its uh, digital advertising tax. Uh, from your view, what's the industry's best argument for maybe getting these uh, the, the Maryland's law tossed? Well, I think it really comes down to the Internet Tax Freedom Act. You know, there are many challenges um, that are out there that I think have merit. But when you look at ITFA's legislative history, it makes it clear that discriminatory taxes on electronic commerce won't be tolerated, um, that, that the standard for comparing electronic commerce to regular commerce is is fairly broad. Things don't need to be identical, but simply similar. And that goods and services and information that's inherently unique to the internet is, is protected. So, you know, when we look at Maryland's law in particular and the way that they are targeting digital advertising while excluding um, traditional um, advertising and commerce, it's it's clearly discriminating. And I do think that those challenges are going to be successful. Yeah. Well, just to play devil's advocate for a moment, uh, the Internet Tax Freedom Act, I mean, th th this, this, this was a law that came into being more than 20 years ago at a moment when the Internet was in its infancy. And um, 
Uh, at this point, we're talking about um, uh, the conduct of companies that are among the most powerful on the planet. So is it, isn't it a little silly to uh, continue to protect uh, these mega corporations? Or Well, I think when you look at the innovation that's occurred in this country over the past 20 years, the Internet Tax Freedom Act has really done what it's set up and accomplished, you know, was intended to accomplish. Um, imagine what the last 14 months would have been like for for our country, for this world, if um, high tech companies weren't encouraged to innovate and be creative in the way that they're offering products and services. I mean, really, the Internet Tax Freedom Act has has shaped, I think, the, the way our country in particular has, has functioned um, in this new world. And so, you know, I think that there is a benefit to allowing that to continue. I think there are opportunities for regulation and, and other um, ways to address concerns about how companies operate or what they do or what disclosures are required. Um, you can look at, um, you know, collection of personal information and put restrictions on that or disclosures. Um, but going about this um, from a tax perspective, I think that it is, 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 is really tricky because, again, you can impact the way industries and business develops um, without the intentions of doing something. Imposing a tax can change the way a company might operate um, when you're not really targeting the problem um, that you're trying to deal with. So. I'm in favor of allowing companies to continue to innovate in this space, um, but you know, acknowledge that you know there are other ways to go about concerns that people may have as as these companies get larger. Well, let me ask you maybe kind of a broader question that um, is is motivating all of these models, which is this uh, argument we hear from some state legislators, particularly progressives, that. Um, Big technology simply isn't paying its fair share of taxes. Do, do you buy that, or uh, how is that thinking going to drive the states in the future? Well, I, I think it's it's not exactly true. I mean, we always look at the corporate income tax as being the measure of what companies pay in terms of of taxes, but ultimately, companies pay a wide variety of of taxes, not just income taxes, but also payroll prop payroll taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, and other taxes. And if you look at the ultimate tax burden that companies have, it is is much broader than simply an income tax. And I haven't seen any indication that tech companies um, aren't paying in proportion to their size or their scale or to their level of activity um, within particular states, particularly if they're not headquartered or or resident there or have a a large presence. Um, You know, states have other mechanisms to address uh, you know, out-of-state companies that they feel aren't paying their fair share. Maryland's been trying to pass combined reporting um, for a long, long time, and they haven't been successful at this. And so, you know, going to a brand new tax on something like digital advertising is is a pretty big leap um, to address this purported shortfall. Um, and, and then finally, I want to ask you, do you think there's maybe some sort of middle ground that will come to uh, between the states and the business community about what makes sense? Um, are, are there ways maybe the states could uh, structure their tax codes to more equitably uh, tax tech companies, but without stifling those capacities for, for innovation and, uh, and, and customer service uh, that you're concerned about? You know, I think that there's always opportunities to look at how different companies can bear a, a different share 
um, of the tax burden for a particular state. I mean, what we saw with the um, the amendment that's pending in Maryland is is I and and also the comments by legislature. Uh, members of the legislature is that, you know, they are looking to protect in-state businesses from the tax and had specific exemptions for broadcast and news agencies that is designed to do that and, and clearly tax out-of-state um, business. Uh, and I think that's that's never okay. You know, as a, as, a, as a state tax lawyer who believes in the Constitution, you know, that is something that is always troubling to me. And you know, I think that states um, who are concerned that they are not getting their fair share need to think about a more equitable and, and proper way to go about doing that. That was Pilar Mata, Executive Director of the Tax Executives Institute. And before that, you heard Peter Enrich, a law professor at Northeastern University. They were speaking with Bloomberg tax correspondent Michael Bologna. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. For our next season of Uncommon Law, we're looking at the regulatory future of big tech. The giants need to be broken up. Facebook, Google, all of them. Is big tech impinging on your right to free speech? They've had unchecked power to censor, restrict, edit, shape, hide, alter. Misinformation, disinformation. It's like a big Venn diagram. We do not want to become the arbiters of truth. We're calling this series Unchecked. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.